Welcome to another episode of Together Far Apart, the podcast. This season focuses on island voices, people in island nations finding creative solutions to global challenges. My name is Nicole Murray Broom, a journalist from Barbados, the world's newest republic. I love island life. It's truly paradise, or at least it used to be. In today's episode, a few of us Bajans, as we call ourselves, invite you to join us as we explain just how easy it is for a country to risk losing cultural identity because of climate change and globalization. Some climate champions who are working to revive marine life and culinary traditions by saving Barbados's national fish, the flying fish, and by extension, our national dish, cuckoo and flying fish. The flying fish is very important to Barbados and has been a symbol of pride for the nation, which has placed this creature on our $1 coin and significant memorabilia. Several businesses and clubs include the flying fish in their names and logos. For us, the flying fish speaks in part to our identity. But what's so unique about this fish species? Marvin Sobers, a boat owner who operates from historic whole town where Christopher Columbus first landed on the island, perfectly describes the flying fish. It's awesome. <laughs> it's an awesome sight to see a fish get up and fly 150 yards. Yeah. I mean, very interesting. It should be hard to catch. <laughs> I don't know how they could be scarce when they got the ability to fly. The beauty of the fish doesn't end there. The fish has many fine bones and can be challenging to eat. Fisherfolk have made scaling and deboning the fish into such an art that each year at the Oysters Fish Festival in the south of the island, fish vendors compete for the prestigious top prize. I'm not kidding. The crowds go wild. Executive chef Michael Harrison takes visitors on an immersive tour to the markets so that he can attest to the effect this skill has on his guests. I think there's no other fish that represents our food culture like flying fish. can be super tasty and, um, and really showcase our heritage and, um, and our food culture. And um, when I take the guests to the market, they absolutely love and, and they're amazed by the way that the ladies and the gentlemen really um, debone the flying fish to just see how that flying fish is prepared and to understand the amount of effort that goes into preparing it is a joy to watch. The decline in the flying fish has been slow and steady, leading to a change in the way locals interact with this national staple. Chef Michael recalls how abundant the flying fish were as little as three decades ago until fishermen had to travel inland to sell their extra catches. I remember as a boy growing up in St. John in the countryside of Barbados, seeing the, the fishermen just coming through the neighborhoods in cars with eyes with flying fish selling. And at that time, the flying fish would be sold for, I would hear like five for a dollar, four for a dollar. And you know, the people in the neighborhood would come out and buy plenty of flying fish, scale them, clean them, gut them, keep the melts to be fried. Melts and rolls are our version of caviar, 
the spawn of the male fish and the egg pearls of the female fish, except that we eat them by seasoning, coating, and frying them crispy. These days, locals have to pre-order flying fish from vendors like Sharon Bellamy Thompson, a veteran who operates at stall number four in the Bridgetown Fisheries Complex. She explains just how drastic a difference the time has made with the catches. All I know in this time, we will be getting flying fish in troves of flying fish, but boats are just coming with a thousand. 1500 400 and that is scary because these boats are custom of bringing 30 and 40 and 50,000 flame fish what's going on i have been in the fish market for over 20 something years when i first um came flame fish was relatively very cheap for persons to afford but now i've seen a drastic change in the flame fish never like i've seen it before but what has led to this decline? Government workers tasked with protecting the marine environment say scientific data points to climate change and human action. Dr. Leo Brewster is the director of the Coastal Zone Management Unit. He has witnessed the changes in the marine environment that have contributed to a decline in flying fish. On the issues that speak to the flying fish population, one thing is for certain, the sargasm seaweed and its presence in the in the waters of the Atlantic and more importantly the Caribbean Sea as well has had a significant and devastating impact on the overall flying fish population. It has been very significant, it has been very rapid and um, it has actually resulted in reduced catches. Take me back to the old time days My grandmother always used to say Due to the thriving tourism sector, we welcome mega yachts and luxury cruise vessels into our small island. But the paradise we first offered has suffered as a result of our hospitality. Globalization and climate change have made a damaging duo. When boats cast their anchors, they destroy our reefs and fish breeding grounds. At the start of the COVID-19 pandemic, several cruise ships were permitted to anchor off Barbados. Thousands of square meters of coral reefs were destroyed by the anchors, some weighing up to five tons and carrying 300 meters of heavy chain. Where do we go from here? On the issues that speak to the flying fish remaining as the national dish of Barbados, it can remain as such because you don't necessarily have to change your national dish just because something is on the decline right now. There may be opportunity for it to actually replenish in the future. The loss is of particular concern to our local climate change specialist. My name is Ricardo Ward, climate change coordinator in the Ministry of Maritime Affairs and the Blue Economy. The sustainable use and management of Barbados's coastal and marine assets is of tremendous importance. These are invaluable assets that have shaped our history, cultural identity, and have, in no small way, been largely responsible for the level of development and social benefits that we enjoy today. Why can't things be just like in the old time? With nowhere to breed and spawn, 
all varieties of fish have had to find new homes, some far away. The migration of the flying fish due to the sargassum seaweed and human action has led to a startling increase in the price of all fish, but particularly the flying fish. Sharon, the fish vendor in Bridgetown, confirms it. Once upon a time, flying fish used to sell at $20 and $25 per hundred, but now there are $250 for $100. Some restaurants are buying the flying fish, but locals like me or you, they can't afford to buy 10 flying fish for $35 a pot when they have a whole big family. And me, myself alone, can eat 10 flying fish by myself. We normally have flying fish, dolphin, marlin, tuna, and swordfish. Don't worry, folks. Sharon isn't eating flipper when you hear us refer to dolphin. It's actually mahi-mahi that we mean. So flipper is safe. They used to sell them at $8 a pound, but just a slight change because of the scarcity, it has become $10 per pound. I grew up eating flying fish several days per week, but I have not had a flying fish meal for at least three years. The same goes for visitors to the island who no longer see it on menus. Chef Michael is concerned that visitors no longer get to taste Barbados and that's not good for foodies who love the Insta story. Flying fish has become pretty expensive, so it is treated like gold. Local cuisine has always been important in the hotel sector in Barbados. However, if I can be honest, I don't think it's important enough. I don't think we promote our foods enough. Majority of the restaurants are more international restaurants. So the cuisine is based to cater to international clients, thinking that that is all that the visitor want. And I find that it is extremely difficult to really get high quality local food in the top restaurants in Barbados. Now that you know just how much these flying fish have impacted our daily lives, let's share our homegrown conservation solutions to turn the tide. See what I did there? <laughs> Dr. Leo Brewster heads up the government's response. The activities that the Coastal Zone Management Unit has pursued to protect the marine environment, given the issues of coral bleaching, reef mortality or morbidity, and the increase in sargassum seaweed. Generally, uh, since the 1990s, we've had a mooring buoy program established for dive boats to reduce the impacts of reef damage from anchoring of vessels. We had also put down some very large mooring buoys for pleasure craft yachts, etc., which were used and have not been used as effectively as they ought to have been done. But that has also reduced the impact of uh, anchor damage on, on the reef systems nearby. The Coastal Zone Management Unit has also sunk old shipwrecks in the bays installed cement homes to start new coral colonies and more. Make sure to see them when you come. We've attempted to, to look at the propagation of corals, where as part of the Coastal Risk Assessment and Management Program, we had actually established a coral reef lab to develop the outgrowth of coral fragments through asexual propagation 
to allow them then to be planted back out into the uh, open ocean or reefs. We've also looked towards the establishment of two new marine management areas from Western in St. James to Fitz Village on the West Coast and from the Pierhead in St. Michael to Rockley Beach, Christchurch on the South Coast. There will be several subdivisions within that marine managed space that will have different types of activity that can take place in there. But for the most part, they are focused on conservation and preservation of the habitats. We've also finally formally designated our coastal zone management area with an inland and seaward boundary, uh, which we have actually now taken out to the 12 mile nautical limit. Remember Marvin Sobers, the boat owner from earlier? He takes visitors out for big fishing and to see the reefs in his glass bottom boat. Already in his lifetime, he is seeing and reaping the benefits of government action. I want to commend him on pulling down the fads recently. A fad is, is for the FAD, it's a fish attraction device. Yeah, they actually put a few of them off the coast and there have been a lot of fish coming around there. Like hanging around close to the coast, probably giving fishermen an easier chance to catch fish without having to go so far. Because as they go down, they see a lot of young flying fish gathering and flying around those areas, right? So I want to commend them. Hopefully, the fishermen will exercise due care. And Marvin says the fishermen are also taking matters into their own hands and generally doing their best not to overfish. Catching fish on the southern side is not sustainable. Most of the guys tend to fish what we call seasonally. You got the red snapper, which we call brim locally, and then you got the bonitas and kingfish. Everything tends to come in like a season. So guys will fish for brim at one for a couple of months, then they will fish for bonitas for a couple of months, and barracudas as well. So then they will give the fish a chance to catch back the stuff, the individual species, right? Like how you do rotational farming on the land, right? Right. So hopefully we can work together and keep everything. Above water. <laughs> He's funny, isn't he? Marvin's just that kind of guy. He gets great reviews online. Chef Adrian Kamerbach runs Cook Caribbean. He is a big part of the homegrown solution to save the flying fish through sustainable fishing and educational programs for children. I go fishing for my food. We have that from farm to table. I will be the tip to let Beijing see that, you know, we still have that sustainable development in terms of protecting our marine and land for our children and our grandchildren. I think that culture is slowly dying off, but that's why we're here to keep pushing it and driving their face. When the younger generation, like after me, comes up, they're not going to go and buy no flying fish at that price. Even their parents may not even ever have purchased flying fish, so they're not going to buy They're going to hear it's too expensive right? and they're not going to cook it. I teach young through ages 7 to 17 how to cook. We have summer cooking camps and Christmas cooking camps. And we also do tours, marine tours. We do hotel tours. We do a lot of agriculture tours. They learn how to make money, you know, doing menu writing and food boxing. <laughs> it's a lot that I believe in and align myself with food security and food safety. Yes, I am a so for us in Barbados, there is hope. The efforts of regular folks on an island small like ours can be an inspiration to other vulnerable island states, even more so as together we try to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic. Oh,
the ocean-dwelling flying fish exposes just how susceptible Barbados is to even small changes in climate and global trends which impact every aspect of our lives. Island Voices is the first installment of Together Far Apart. Thanks for listening. I am Nicole Marie Broom. I can't wait to see you soon in my home of Barbados or to have you try a Bajan recipe online. Goodbye for now, or as we say here, hurry up and come. <laughs>